All right, everyone. If you want to grab a seat, if you're not in one yet. Cool. Well, welcome back in church on a Wednesday night. <laughs> Got some people wanting to be in church every night up front. Um, well, welcome. I'm really excited about tonight. Um, as you know, uh, I pastor this church with my wife, but I also work full time. I've longed for for a long time is to understand what it looks like and see examples, hear stories and testimonies of people who are living out their faith radically, but in the context of the work world. You know, what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus, the core principles are always the same no matter what your context, but the way it expresses itself does adapt to the environment that you're in. And what it looks like to be a missionary in Africa looks very different than what it looks like to be a missionary in Berkeley or a missionary in the work world. And so I'm really excited because for years I've longed for examples of people who are doing both really well. People who are doing the work world really well and their career is thriving and they're following Jesus in that place and they're seeing fruit uh, both in the work sense but also in the ministerial sense, in the bringing the kingdom, in representing Jesus and being like him in the workplace. So Victor Ho is here with us tonight, as you guys know. So let's welcome Victor. So I'm going to, I would say I'm not going to brag on you, but I feel like reading your bio is bragging on you. I'll, I'll tell you guys why in a minute. So first of all, the biggest brag there can be, you went to UC Berkeley. That's yeah, go Bears. <laughs> go Bears. So a triple degree, three majors. Yeah. That's kind of intense. So industrial engineering, rhetoric, and business. So, you know, underachieving there. Graduates from UC Berkeley and gets a job as an iBanker at Goldman Sachs, one of the most competitive investment banks in the world. Um, and then goes on there and just joins McKinsey, which is kind of a semi-competitive <laughs> consulting firm. Just kidding. For those of you guys who don't know McKinsey, it's one of the premier consulting firms in the world. And then Victor goes on to start his own company uh, called Five Stars. And um, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't, I don't sell your product, but Five Stars is a marketing platform used for loyalty for customers, right? Yeah, you get customers, they become loyal customers, you keep mm -hmm. in touch with them, you can give promotions and loyalty, bring, bring them back into your business. Yep, that's right. Cool. Well, we're super excited to hear your thoughts on what it looks like to do work really well and also do discipleship of Jesus really well. So thank you so much for being here. Awesome. And then, um, Thanks for having me. As we go, we're going to do some Q&A on the other side of this. So Victor's going to speak for about 20, 25 minutes, 30 minutes, and then we're going to do some q and I'll start us off with a couple questions to get the juices going, but write down your questions as he's going. And really, I think uh, it's safe to say any question related to the topic is, <clears throat> is totally open game. And so, you know, Let's really like challenge ourselves. Like, what does this look like to do well? And ask him the questions for somebody who's been doing it well for for many years. Yeah. Thanks, thanks very much. All yours. <laughs> All right. Um, so you can tell, I guess, by the, his reading of my bio that I was Asian parented, and <laughs> part of this talk is going to, you know, is going to include covering uh, unwinding parts of that, and you know, what my my path towards learning to work for what God's intention of me was, and not what my parents' intention or what 
you know, society's intention or whatever of me was. Um, and, uh, and, and for the record, I very much regret having done three majors because then I feel like I saw <laughs> nothing while I was here. So don't take that as an inspiration point and try and do it. <clears throat> okay. Um, uh, I guess first off, what would be helpful for me is if I just want to get a sense of who I'm talking to. So uh, if you could just raise your hand if you are currently a student at Berkeley. Okay. Um, you are not a student, but you are under 30. Okay, like everyone. And then you're over 30. Okay, that's a good amount. All right, cool. <clears throat> All right. Um, yeah, so <clears throat> that's great. Um, okay, so uh, my, my talk based, I mean, a lot of what I'm going to draw from is from my time at Five Stars. Uh, so, like Pastor Ryan said, we are a startup in San Francisco. We're focused on helping small businesses. Our mission statement is to help them to thrive by building relationships with their customers. And we do that through a variety of ways, through loyalty programs, through marketing automation. But basically trying to leverage technology to help them bring them into the 21st century into competition with other bigger players and also hopefully to bring to bear a future of product commerce that is more relational and redemptive than I believe where it's headed today, which is incredibly transactional, and you know, robots are replacing people at AMC and things like that. Um, and today, the company is around 350 or so people, uh, raised about $100 million, and we, we touch around 20 million consumers. Um, so the big disclaimer I'm gonna give uh, on, on this talk is, first off, that I'm definitely not a pastor. And so what I've asked Pastor Ryan to do is to correct me if I like say something that's incorrect. I'm going to share my theology, what has driven me, and, um, and I'm just making a disclaimer that has not been vetted to the same degree of rigor that is, you know, other talks were probably vetted. So he's going to correct everything if I say it wrong. <laughs> um, <clears throat> and um, yeah, okay. So the, before I begin, there's just a piece of background that I want to walk through that m most people in this room might already be aligned on, but that was certainly was, um, was a new way of thinking for me uh, not, not too long ago. So growing up, um, I grew up well, in um, an Asian Baptist church, and, and in that world, there's basically tiers of like how good of a Christian you are. Okay, so the first tier of Christian is the missionary, right? They are the real Christians. They are doing God's work. They are out there like you know, kicking ass, taking names. And then after tier one missionaries, you have tier two and they're pastors, right? And they guide people, they do that for people here. And then tier three is sort of everyone else, right? And the best we could ever hope to do is to make money to give to people doing God's real work, right? And so that is your like three tiers of Christian, right? And, and so for most of us who, are not call, who, didn't, who weren't called to be missionaries or something else, we are, we're sort of trying to be the best tier three Christian we can, try to make money in some, you know, like this really dirty thing, but maybe we can give it to uh, some positive, bright thing. Um, but what became very apparent to me as, as uh, I, I read more, thought more, and there's a lot of different pastors and thought leaders that help me understand this, is that in the Bible, there's no such distinction between clergy and laity. That is a completely manufactured thing that happened way later, right? When Paul and the other apostles are talking to the church or even talking to each other, they refer to each other as brothers, as fellow servants. You know, there, there's no such thing as a professional minister or someone in part-time ministry. You know, they, they viewed the entire church, everyone in the church, from the pastor down to the last congregant, as co-laborers, right? And we have this call um, into full-time ministry. Every single person here, 
right? Whether you work at a nonprofit, whether you're a pastor, whether you're at some company, if you consider yourself Christian, we, we have no way of escaping that. That is, that is a very clear call on us. And um, for most of us, our mission field is our work, right? Um, our, we have been called to a certain mission field, and that mission field is your company, whatever area you're in. Um, and so I think the, the, mo the thing that impacted me most, and one thing I, I walk through with every single person that joins Five Stars when I onboard them, is to help them really realize how much their work matters. Um, and it's not just sort of this thing where you clock in and clock out, but one thing that really struck me, especially when I was in banking and I'm doing nothing but at work and sleeping under my desk, is I'm realizing that for every one of us, if you were to plot on a pie chart where we spent our time at your retirement, so you're 60, fast forward, you're 65, you plot on a pie chart how you spent your life so far. Sleep. And then the next slice is friends, family, everything else, right? So if you incredibly high, Right, like that is an anointed, incredibly Christian on Sundays or that you can volunteer on Saturdays or for whatever it is. Like the entirety of your life, the biggest portion is in the workplace. And so it, it became incumbent on me to be much more intentional about that time. And most of the story, I guess, follows from a number of those realizations um, and what they are. So uh, in trying to think about what to talk about, I, um, I, there's three things I, I just figured I'd cover. So. Uh, really, it's just an amalgamation of a bunch of random anecdotes and stories that have touched me over time. But the first is I'm going to just talk about um, the call, being called, uh, as you know, I think every missionary is and uh, every minister is. The second is to cover, talk about what I believe we're called to as people in the workplace. And the last is to talk about what I believe gives us the courage to respond to that call, because it's often very scary. Um, so first, or in terms of being called, <clears throat> The, so the, the, the question that really struck me and that I believe is relevant to you know, many, many in this room, especially millennials, is the question of like, who are you really working for, right? Like, and and I, I mean that in, in, you know, when, when you accepted your job or whatever you're doing now, what was it that motivated you to, do, you to do that? What was it that motivated you to pick your field of study? And I think for most people, if I, I asked them, what was your goal for work? And this is certainly true for me. It would have been, well, I need to provide for a family one day. I want to buy a house. I want to be successful. Maybe I want to please my parents. There's, there's a whole host of things that come out, right? And, um, but how much of it is that you wanted to be obedient? You know, was that the reason you picked your job amongst a whole host of things? There's different places that pay different. There's different places that are more or less prestigious. But all of those factors were secondary to you. And the reason you picked your direction was because you put it on the altar and you felt God calling you there. Um, and for me, that's, I, that certainly was not the answer, right, that, that I could give. It was that what I truly in my heart of hearts was viewing what drove me and how I defined the word success the first thought that came to mind would not necessarily be obedience. It would be, well, even today, it would be TechCrunch says a, a successful startup looks this way, and I would love to look that way. It would be that my, my, my relatives and my parents really value you know, a certain type of success. Like Specifically, you probably need to be an engineer or a doctor, which I've... Um, so for my story, uh, it's it time was to get into a top-tier private equity firm. Um, 
And I thought that if I could just go in, went to Goldman, McKinsey, I thought I was positioning the perfect background to get into few coveted jobs, where if I landed it, I, I made it with my life, right? So working, including on weekends. Um, I finally, at the end of my time at McKinsey, had, I, I, lined up, I played the game really well, run the hamster wheel really fast, just completed my final rounds of interviews on the West Coast here with TPG. I was clearly in my heart of hearts that I was not supposed to go work for a private equity firm, um, but I disobeyed. I uh, to take a call, and next thing you know, you know, I'm, I'm at, I just done offers in front of me that I thought were the promised land and that I would, I would make it. Um, but I'm, I'm at SFO, my flight gets delayed. Here in my heart of hearts was just his voice saying, Victor, you know where I'm sending you, and yet you're chasing a resume line item. Is that that important? And um, basically that, that moment so convicted me. Sorry, you flew me out, you spent all this time on me, uh, but I need to withdraw from this process. I'm in, let's do it. And that basically was the beginning of history, you know, the beginning of five stars and where all that came from. Um, so for, I don't know that there's always such a palpable call. I know for, for many other moments of my life, they were an idiot. Um, but, you know, um, but I guess uh, it's to ask the question, he is our boss. Where does he want to deploy us? And how can we hope to do a good job on, on our performance review with him if we don't ask him what? I'm betting, actually, that, through his, that you're already in the right place. You've already done you to the right spot. Um, but nonetheless, I think of this first point, it's just I realize the importance of um, making sure to ask the question of where I'm called to. So the next, the, next, uh, the next question then is, okay, I'm called, but what am I actually called to do? I felt like I was young, I had no idea what I was doing, I'm now unemployed, making no money, I'm living in a friend's parents' house we're renting for cheap, right? Eating ramen basically every single day um, because we have nothing to live off of. And so I'm thinking, all right, God, I'm here, <laughs> you know, you made me do this crazy thing, now, now this is where my, you know, I don't know how deeply theological this is, but this is the best I, I've been able to, are really two things. So the first is that we know work existed about bringing forth God's plan, God's blessing for the earth, flourishing. Um, and, and the second is great, the Great Commission, right, that we're all called to. So I sort of view my life as these are sort of my two sense of work and to bring about the Great Commission. Um, so the Great Commission part on that, about proselytizing to coworkers, you know, I'm sure you could start a Bible study at work, there, there's Christianity of like how many conversions, you know, can you like chalk up to your name, right? Um, is, you know, what is the intrinsic goodness of your work that aligns? And, and I think for some, it's more obvious, right? Like if you are a doctor, just doing your, doing your job excellently as a doctor is clearly his hand, right? If, if you are a lawyer, Right, you are you are bringing just to law to the law, lawless. You are you are. There's many com so there's a number of professions where I think it's obvious. You know, another one might be if you're it is clear how you can be an instrument of God's hand, just doing your job to it. But I think here, I, I guess uh, I want to address more tech because I think that's where they're going to change the world in some way, and it's it's all really confusing. Um, the area is being very very lucky in a lot of ways, and by that I mean. We bottom line goal for a business is to make money, right? Like when you work at Goldman Sachs, they're, and they're, they're, they can say that unabashedly. But here, 
God is doing something really to frame what they do in something redemptive, right? No, we're not just trying to make money. We're trying to make it more. That is kind of awesome. Um, so the first, the, in terms of what we're being called to of our company, and firstly, choosing a company whose mission you actually believe in, you know, and, and not saying that it's always bad, but an example would be, okay, if I were working for Zynga, the goal of my company is to make middle-aged women waste a bunch of money and human flourishing to the world, right? And I would say on the face of it, but what I mean is if you are at a company like that, I would not, I would not, I would, I would not make it a cavalier decision. If I were about to be sent into North Korea, I'd be praying about an atmosphere that is oppressive or whose aim is something, uh, right? And so that is the same tenor with which I would think about, uh, think about things if I were headed towards a place that were explicitly defined as, in that way, right? Um, but there are many other places where the mission, and for most companies actually, where this explicitly stated mission is something pretty cool, pretty redemptive, that seems very righteous. And, um, and so I, I think the most practical thing that we can do in, in those ways to make a difference is to be the voice within our companies that actually put the mission first and profit second, right? And even though you're not the CEO, you're not a VP maybe or whatever, you have the air cover of this mission statement that's explicitly stated as the most important thing in the company to support you when you pound the table and do the controversial. <clears throat> um, and I, I believe one of the stories I thought I shared that was kind of insane was early on in the life of our company, Kowski and Brad Keywell, they are uh, the billionaires who are behind Groupon. And so I'm, I'm, you know, 25 something, Sitting in, uh, we think five stars fits really well with our strategy. You should need to either let us buy, we're going to crush you. We're going to literally copy your thing and crush you, right? And so, which is a really scary thing, I think you guys can imagine, right? Um, but I do not want to work with them, not just for the obvious reasons, but just like, we had God, I believe God was sending me in a direction on a mission to help small businesses that I could not do that. I might have made a lot of money selling my company or something else, but I'm out of business at scale and in a very cavalier way, trying to make money in spite of them, right? And so simple, it was, if I'm really here for the mission and if that really comes first, then I must say no. And we just had immense confidence and peace in knowing that if God is for us, who could be against us? One other example I would give, you know, that's more practical, that's also, that's very practical because not everyone is in a, you know, that, that's, that is not the challenge for everyone. Um, is uh, another time this manifested very clearly within our company is we have a lot of small business owners who don't pay us because for a variety of reasons they can't pay. They decide they don't want to pay and they just stop paying with their credit card, which is kind of a nasty thing to do, but happens all the time. And we were trying to figure out how do we increase our collections rate. And one of my, one of my proudest moments is, uh, is a frontline employee within the company as we were drafting up this plan who said, hey, if our mission statement is really to help SMBs, we cannot send them to collections. We can do a lot of different things, but we're not gonna hurt their credit, right? And so that, that is a very, and, and, and we, but I believe that not sending them to collections was the right move. And as in many ways, many SMB related companies have terrible reviews and, and names. So powerful, that set a precedent and a tone that is, um, that is still looked at. <clears throat> so, the last, uh, um, and I think I've got the most stories here. <clears throat> so, 
one, uh, a mentor of mine says something that I, re- that I really, really like, which is where God's vision is, his provision is. Meaning that whenever you follow through on God's vision, he will provide, right? His provision is there. Um, and, you know, I think one thing, one thing to highlight is, um, is that for a, through a lot of these, a lot of the, the stories, you know, what I've talked about and what I, the stories I'm going to tell, it might, look, it, it might look like, oh, wow, like Victor had to do this crazy thing or, or whatever it is. I think, there's, I think whenever you, you give a talk like this or you tell these stories, it happens to make you look good in that way. But in almost every single situation that I've had to make some big, bold bet, it's been in sort of like brokenness or completely messing up and God forcing you in the right direction because I believe that when your sort of heart is open to him, he will clear the path and steer the way, often in spite of you, in, in, most of the time for me, in spite of myself. So with the Groupon example, um, I mean, that, that was the most literal one where, where today, so the, they, they actually did try to crush us. They founded another company, it was called Belly. Um, they, they literally took our pitch deck, stole the idea, started this company, hired a CEO to run the company, and then Brad Keywell, who was one of the billionaires that scaled Groupon, clearly an amazing sales leader, helped to scale the company. And through years of different events, little nuances, small decisions, almost none of which are attributable to me or my like foresight or business excellence, we, we destroyed them, right? They, <laughs> that's the bottom line. Um, <clears throat> they... They, uh, yeah, that came off differently than I probably was intended. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they got off to a really fast start. There was a bunch of different things that happened. Like we made certain bets on products and, and other features that were just very unclear that all turned out to pan out. And I mean, I, I, and we far outran them. And even just, I think like two weeks ago, they finally let go of their CEO and a bunch of other things happened. Um, but, I, but like on the face of it, right, you've got our company, you know, I've never started a company before, first time, I'm not like a serial entrepreneur or something, got a lot of young people, and somehow we outran a company of experts built by experts. That makes no sense, right? There, there is no universe where that should happen. We are literally, and it's not even like we have different products. We have competing products in the same space, selling the same thing to the same, right? And um, it is clearly an example of God's provision in his hand on the company. Um, another story that, uh, that came to mind um, is just there's been a lot of events uh, in terms of fundraising where, where God has had a hand. So the, the first one is around that initial call to start a company. So call to start a company, I'm now unemployed, I don't have an income. And there is this very real moment where I, I, I'm, I'm really, I always procrastinate, so I always tithe once uh, when I'm about to do my taxes. So tax season comes, and I think, oh, shit, I haven't tithed yet. And then I do my tithe, right? That's what I do. So tax season came. I, I was supposed to do my tithe. And I, I, I remember crystal clear. I'm sort of sitting there thinking, what is 10% of zero? I don't make any money right now. Like, what am I supposed to do? And, um, but I, I, I felt... I felt God very clearly pushing me um, to think, hey, where is your security based? Is your security based in your bank account or is it based on me? Um, 
and that was very convicting. <laughs> and, uh, and so at that moment, I felt it was so clear that what I was being called to do was to just empty out most of my savings, give, it to, give the same amount I normally would to the causes I cared about, um, and trust that he would provide. And so we, we, I had the craziest experience where it was like a Tuesday or something. I was like, all right, God, this is borderline irresponsible. In fact, I'm pretty sure this is irresponsible. Or I make no money, and I'm about to just give away the vast majority of the savings that I have. And, uh, and so hopefully I won't have to be like calling my parents to put food on the table or something. Um, so that was on a Tuesday. And then on a Thursday, I'm in Y Combinator at the time. I'm at Y Combinator. They called us in for this surprise meeting. So I'm sitting at YC. Paul Graham is saying something. At the corner of my eye, I see uh, this old white-haired guy walk in, Ron Conway, right? He's a, those, he's a well-known investor. And, and I'm like, what is Ron Conway doing here? So we, we, I'm sitting there at YC. Ron Conway comes up to the front of the stage. And then on a robot, like a Segway robot, Yuri Milner on the screen like rolls up. It's like the weirdest thing, but it's an anybody. He, Yuri Milner is a very prominent Russian investor who's invest, DSC invested in Facebook and a bunch of other companies. So Ron Conway and a robot Yuri Milner roll up to the front of the stage. And, and basically they say, hey, we've got a surprise for everyone. Uh, we, for the first time, are taking outside investment, um, and Ron Conway and Yuri Milner want to give every single person here $150,000. Uh, <laughs> and basically, uncapped convertible note, the best terms you could ever imagine. And so here I am, a couple days ago, I'd just given away a couple thousand dollars, and now I'm sitting in front of 150 grand that fell on my lap. Um, that exact story has happened to me at least two or three times in my walk, uh, and I think finances is a big part of my personal walk because I grew up in an Asian household where you're really stingy and money means way more than it should. So that has been an idol that's needed to be broken for me. But that is, that is just one of a number of times where giving up everything meant getting way more than I could have ever imagined. <clears throat> and um, I think the last point I want to share in terms of God's provision is that you know, those stories seem kind of glorious, right? It's like, oh, I made this amazing decision, and then, like, God came and rewarded it or whatever. But I actually think the majority of the time, it's we make a mess of things, and then God bails us out. So I've, I've got a whole host of stories here where um, just two, two simple ones to share. The first is, uh, this was 2013, as a company, we were not in the place we needed to be to raise a, another good round of funding. I think we were raising our Series B at the time. And, um, and so we bet the whole company on, uh, on two product bets. And we thought, okay, we just need one of them to pan out. If one of them could just pan out, we'll be fine. And one of them actually did pan out, but unfortunately, there wasn't enough time left to show results before we went to investors. Uh, so this was the end of 2013. And then that, and I, you know, and it's a like our better manager, a better planner, or whatever. Maybe we wouldn't have been in that situation, right? Um, and that December, just out of nowhere, basically a, a strategic investor that I talked to a long time ago, uh, Rogers, uh, it's a telecom company in Canada. They basically just called me up and said, "Hey, remember like ten months ago we talked about an investment or something like that? Well, we've got like five million bucks." And we, we were wondering if you were interested <laughs> in that. And, and basically, they wrote us a $5 million note within a week 
that was this uncapped Corona also, like the amazing, basically free money in advance that kind of fell on our lap, and it gave us an extra six months of runway that allowed those metrics to play out, and then we were able to raise an incredible Series B. Um, but that, that was all God, right? Um, another example is the most recent one. We raised a, a Series C in December, 50 million bucks. Um, the reason we had to raise a Series C in December was because we screwed things up. We were supposed to raise the Series C probably around June or July. And there were a lot of better calls, even missional calls, we probably should have made that might have enabled that to work out better. So one is for a while I felt like our company was overpricing and that if we were really helping small business owners, we should lower our prices and that might reflect in better turn rates and a bunch of things that would have put us in a better economic situation. Ultimately, I was too cowardly to do that. I did not do that, right? And probably a variety of things would have allowed us to bankroll ourselves for longer, but we ran out of, we were running out of money, right? So I had to raise, raise our Series C way sooner and we ended up raising it in December. For those of you that follow the markets, what happened was that basically starting January 1st in the new year, the markets cratered, valuations plummeted. Um, and uh, and every, every, every valuation basically got cut at least half and there wasn't a single tech IPO for, for at least a quarter, right? And many VCs, many of my friends who went to raise money in this new year went out and a number of investors told them, uh, hey, you can't expect valuations like this anymore. Five Stars was basically the last company that got the old world valuations. <laughs> it went out the perfect time, right? And so because we screwed up, God used that screw up in that situation to put us in an amazing, in an amazing place. <clears throat> so to just wrap up, uh, I think, a lot of my story so far, um, a couple things I, I, I want to just pass on. So the first is that, is that I, for those of you in the room who might be thinking, okay, I'm not in some position where I'm the CEO of a company and I can make certain crazy calls or whatever it is, I genuinely believe you can do more when you are not the CEO of a company. Because when I'm in my, my current position, actually there are a lot of handcuffs. Right, in Silicon Valley, you can be anything, you can believe anything, everything's accepted, except if you're Christian, that's basically illegal, right? That is like the only thing you cannot comfortably and publicly be because people view you as like, probably that you're oppressive and gonna try to convert them or something like that, right? So every, people are accepting of everything except for being Christian, which they're allergic to. Um, and there are many things that I have to be really careful about. So an example is we have a Bible study within our company. I started the Bible study, but actually I have to be very, very careful to have, to have the appearance that I run or am like the sponsor behind this, right? I, there's, there, are more, there are other people within the company that need to run such a thing I can participate, right? And, um, and so there are a lot of things like that that actually you will be surprised by how much power you have to institute that wherever you are. Whether it's, uh, whether it's starting a Bible study at your workplace, right? Which, which in the spirit of today, uh, nobody can stop, nobody will probably stop you. Or whether it's, uh, we have a lot of efforts, for instance, where every quarter we give the company a day off to go volunteer somewhere. I've heard of many people who've started volunteering 
uh, organizations and other events at their company that they do together um, and draws a lot of people in. Or whether it's even just being the voice of the mission statement or the values where when the CEO says it, he's just telling the party line. But when someone really believes it and says it, um, that is not in that position, it turns heads. So uh, the first, yeah, I guess the, the first pragmatic takeaway is I, I really believe you can do more when you are not the CEO of a company. Um, this, and the second very just practical piece, uh, practical thing I've learned is that if we are to serve God well in the workplace, if we really believe that we are working as unto the Lord, as in he is our manager, he is our boss, right? My manager at work is not my real manager. I mean, I report to them, they are my manager, but the person I'm ultimately answering to is God, right? I need to have regular one-on-ones with him. How can I know if I am working on the right thing today, this week, when he is my real boss, if I'm not asking him and regularly meeting up with him? And so in the same way you have a one-on-one with your manager at work, you absolutely must have a one-on-one with at least equivalent, if not higher frequency with God, literally just asking him in, in what way you're supposed, you should perform your duty as a missionary in your, your workplace, your mission field. Uh, and I fundamentally believe that makes all the difference because uh, almost every single thing within my testimony I can point to was not some premeditated thing where I have like a playbook and a plan. Almost every case, it's your convening with God and because you're seeking him for direction, something doesn't feel right. Something feels like an opportunity. You kind of step slowly in that direction and he reveals more and more of his plan. Um, So, What I want to what I want to end with is is just my my deep optimism of what we as Christians in the workplace can accomplish. You know, I, I it definitely feels often that especially in a city like San Francisco or the Bay Area that we are we are the deep minority. But what I believe is that that we are the most privileged group in the world, right? In this room, whether it's the intelligence you've been given, the upbringing, the social circle, the wealth, or even just us being in San Francisco, which is the most influential place in the world right now. Um, we have been, gin- been given incredible resources to steward, right? And at the end of our lives, we are gonna be standing in front of God and giving an account for how well we stewarded that time, that intelligence, whatever it is. And my deepest desire for myself is, and all of us, is to be able to, to look at him and to hear good and faithful servant, right? To be able to tell him, like, oh, for when he asked me, hey, Vic, I made you, like, hardworking and pretty smart. What did you do with that? For me not to say, oh, I bought a big house and uh, I kind of donated some stuff on some weekend, right? Um, uh, and, uh, and I made my wife really comfortable. Um, but to actually say, be able to answer and say that I did the utmost with those resources that were stewarded. Um, and my dream is that, I, at that on that moment, I will, when he says that, I will be seeing my wife, I will be seeing all, my friends and all of you, and we will be high-fiving because we will be, be saying, yeah, we ran the race to the best of our ability and we crushed it. Um, so it is my utmost belief, it is my utmost belief that if with the compounded ability of the believers that are in this place, 
like forget about startups and their mission of, of changing the world. We have been commissioned as part of the greatest story ever told, and we are and we are soldiers amidst this like darkened battlefield that is San Francisco, um, and we have the ability to make the most massive, most incredible impact if if we don't leave our our mission field on, if we don't see our mission field as like Sunday afternoons but we see it as every minute that we are in our workplace I don't think there's anything that can stop us so yeah it's been um it's been awesome just to get to share a little bit of my story with you all and uh, I'm just really excited about what I believe believers in the tech world can do together thanks <laughs> See a lot of smiling faces out there. Thank you. That was awesome, man. I was about to jump out of my seat a couple times, start celebrating. Um, so I will warm us up with some Q and A, uh, unless there's somebody that wants to be the brave first soul to come up to the mic and kick us off. All right, John Knox. All right, Nick. John works for Five Stars actually, so he can really grill me. He can hold us, hold me accountable. <laughs> Uh, I've been waiting for this day. <laughs> no, I'm going to go easy on you. Uh, something that really struck me, uh, Vic, uh, was that recently you were featured in the New York Times. You remember that? I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, you talked about something that you brought into your company uh, called Obligation to Dissent that you learned from McKinsey. Mm -hmm. And I wondered if you wanted to share a little bit about what that means for five stars, what that means for you and for some of us as we're in the workplace following God. Yeah. Okay, so the, uh, the obligation to dissent, for those that aren't familiar with it, is the concept that in any given situation, the newest, most junior person in the room is most qualified to call bullshit on the most senior, most veteran person in the room. So if I am in a room with like an intern, that intern is the most qualified to look at me and say, hey Vic, you talk a big game about mission and values, but you're full of crap because you have this sales pitch that hard closes merchants and it doesn't feel right, whatever it is, right? Um, the, the logic behind it stems from the idea that once you've been somewhere for a long time, you've drunk the Kool-Aid, and therefore you're actually blind to a lot of things. So it is sort of the newest person, the freshest eyes, that is most capable of, of, of really pushing the boundary on something provocative. Um, so that, that is something I very much believe uh, in in our workplace, that if you're really to be a place that uh, is grounded in humility, that's held accountable, that innovates, you need to have that even playing field of discourse. Um, in, terms of, in terms of how it applies to everyone here, I, I'm actually not sure, because there's a lot of places where, where that is not at all <laughs> the norm, right? Where if you speak up to your VP, they're gonna fire you. Um, <laughs> And, uh, and I've been in both situations, right? At McKinsey, yes, it was great. At Goldman, I definitely would not go that far. Um, but I think, um, but I, I do think there is some, something underlying and redemptive about that idea, which is, to, which is that no matter who you, are, who you are, your title, your place in the organization, to have the courage and fearlessness to speak up about the things that really matter in that place. For instance, holding them accountable to the, own, the, the, ver the mission and values that they themselves profess. 
right? Like Enron, a good famous story is Enron's, one of Enron's core values, like chiseled into their marble hall was integrity, right? Obviously no one there cared about integrity, but I would hope to imagine someone there spoke up about integrity. And to believe that in those situations where you are speaking rightly, that either A, God will come through in force and make it okay and make things happen behind your step of courage, or B, you should leave that place because it's not a place you should be working. Um, so I, I guess I don't know how that necessarily applies to everyone, but that's the principle that comes to mind. That's great. Uh, in that same article, you talked about advice for millennials. And, <laughs> and I think it was sound advice for pretty much anyone. Would yeah. you comment on that as well and just maybe expound? Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, so this, this, this goes to my first point about being called and who you're really working for, right? But like I... You know, so we are, we, we are of a different generation. I te- I'm a millennial too. Te- I think I'm on the border or something like that. My, my dad worked for Boeing for 40 years, right? He graduated college. He worked for Boeing. He retired, right? That, and that, that is a different time. He, nowadays, like I, and whenever I meet people in the workforce and they're asking for advice or at small group at church or whatever, like, and this is very prevalent among Christians too, I constantly hear things like, oh man, I want to change jobs, I'm not being promoted fast enough, or they're underpaying me, or you know, I'm getting overlooked for this and that thing. And, and the, the, the question that comes to my head is like, who are you working for, right? Is the goal of your work to make more money? Is it to like build your resume faster than everyone else? If it is, then yeah, every time that doesn't go your way, you should quit. But if your, if your goal, if you are, who you're working for is really working for God, you would quit when he tells you to quit, right? And of course, it doesn't mean you should be taken advantage of and you shouldn't care about how much you get paid or any of those things. I think those are all things that in wisdom we are looked, we, you know, we should think about, but they should not be the primary thing, right? And, um, and so my advice for millennials was, a couple, was, was two things I think I boiled it down to. One was, um, one was not to just get all jumpy about the promotion. The promotion will come when you are truly living it and when you truly deserve it. Um, and unless your boss is just like a bad person who has no care and no, no interest in your well-being, which is a different situation, like trust their wisdom and, you know, ra- and just focus on doing an excellent job rather than jumping over things too quickly. And then the second thing was just to stay put. Um, there, there was a sermon I listened to recently, where I, I, which I really liked, um, which, uh, which was like, um, it was talking about rootedness, but it, it was saying like the, the Christian practice of stability is the practice of staying still in order to really get somewhere, right? Like, I can jump from company to company to company and try to build my resume, but to really get somewhere, you stay in your relationship. You, you, you live in a committed marriage. You don't just jump from place to place. To really get somewhere, you stay and you invest. You build roots in your company, and then you really try to get somewhere, Right? And, and that practice, I think, is increasingly lost in, in our day and age relative to that of our parents. Um, and it's just something really good to keep in mind. <clears throat> yeah, it seems like there's a whole bunch of um, psychology books and current thought about grit. And I'm sure you've probably read Mindset or heard of all the talk about Mindset. It feels like it's a, a similar thing where it's like a a uh, psychological term for perseverance, which is mm-hmm. talked about, you know, all over the Bible. Do you have any thoughts on, I mean, I, I guess you're talking about right now grit and what that's meant to your career and how you'd see that expressed in a, in a career and perseverance? Yeah. Um, 
I don't know if I have some a, a, a theological belief that I can co connect it with, but just a pragmatic one. Yeah, I, I, I add there's. I, there's two heuristics I've sort of learned in my career that I've held on to, which is that if you take two people of equivalent ability, um, equivalent work ethic, et cetera, the one that has one, the higher risk tolerance is gonna end up ahead of the other one, and two, the one with the greater perseverance is gonna end up ahead of the other one, right? Like two of the same people, the one willing to fail more and take more bets is going to come out down the road way ahead of the one that doesn't, and the one who sticks through the hardest situations is gonna come out way ahead of the one that doesn't. Um, and I, I, I mean, and, and definitely for me, that's hit home really, really strongly, just being in a startup, like a lot of days, even now, but especially in the beginning, I thought I was just getting like hit in the head, you know, every, like pounded in the head every single moment I'm just existing, right? Because it's so hard, you feel like you're gonna die. Um, like not, not, not literally gonna die, but your company is gonna die. You know, and, and, and there's fires everywhere, but the, the, most interest, the most interesting thing I always found through Y Combinator was that the number one cause of death for a startup is actually not like they didn't have product market fit or they built the wrong thing or they had bad engineers or whatever it is. It is that the founders, or it, the founders either fall, fall out with each other or they give up. That is actually the number one cause of death. Um, and I don't mean give up in like a we have zero money, we have to give up type of way. I mean like you actually just throw in the towel, give up. Um, I very much believe in perseverance and yeah, cool. Kevin. Hey dude. Hey. Um, so I work uh, in a financial technology company mm -hmm. um, and we are in a pretty dark space. Um, we're. Uh, amongst payday lenders, and mm -hmm. we offer small dollar loans to people over mm -hmm. short time periods. Yep. Um, as you can imagine, offering this kind of product to subprime folks uh, leads to decently high default rates yep. in their loans. Yeah. Um, and we have a collections team that wants to collect on them. Mm -hmm. um, so this question will be like pertaining to collections. Yeah. Um, so we have the mindset that we want to collect on these people because after they pay back, they can stay with our, uh, our product and keep taking out subsequent loans mm -hmm. because they need our product to like smooth their income out. Mm -hmm. um, and also, we want to be able to have a revenue stream so that we can continue growing the business and offer the product for people that need it down in the line in the future. Mm -hmm. We're trying to differentiate ourselves and actually build a product that helps people instead of a, being a predatory lender. Yeah. So we need that revenue stream to stay alive. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering for you, uh, you know, you're talking about collections and not collecting on certain uh, your SMBs. I'm just wondering, like one, uh, or actually, like the biggest question is like, how how did you justify that to your board and to your like peers? Yeah. Um, I think that's fascinating, and I really want to hear the nuances of that. Yeah. Um. Uh, actually, let me ask him a question back first. Um, <clears throat> so, why do you want to make these loans? Like, what is the ex what is the goal or even explicit mission of the company? But as it pertains to making these small loans. Yeah. So, in the payday lending space, the underwriting is very uh, primitive. Uh -huh. And so, once people once we underwrite them for the first loan, and if they pay back, that's a pretty positive signal that they can continue taking out loans with us. Yeah. And if that signal is positive for let's say 10 loans, 
since these loans are pretty short term, they're like 14 mm -hmm. days. If, these, if the signal is positive for like 10 loans, then it's pretty positive that we can give them a better loan, like a higher loan amount for a lower interest rate, mm -hmm. and then move them on to a better product, which can eventually and hopefully improve their credit scores. It's uh, known in the payday space that mm -hmm. these short-term loans don't actually contribute to your credit score. So right. a lot of these folks in the payday take out payday loans, they can't improve their credit score. Got it. So okay. that is the justification. Got it. Yeah. So um, I, I think it, it all, it, so I guess, so that the first question around whether I would send them to collections or not, that one I think just simply depends on uh, whether it really aligns with your mission, right? If, if your mission is you believe you can help these people who are currently victim of predatory lending practices and help them to build their credit. And the reason you exist as a company is to find these underserved and to redeem them financially. Then the question is very simple. Sending, does sending them to collections redeem them or not? And I don't know, like the face of it actually seems kind of scary because when someone gets sent to collections it actually hurts their credit score, right? But if you can truly answer in your heart of hearts that sending them to collections will be for the better because maybe for some of them they need to learn that responsibility or for maybe for some of them they will actually pay their way out. Um, but if, if the answer for that is, if, if, you, if you are sending them to collections not because you need to make money or just to justify it, but because you truly believe it furthers your mission, then you should do it. If you can't, you shouldn't do it. Um, in terms of how you justify that though to the board where they're like, hey, we invested in you and you're just like throwing money away. Um, it, it's, it's honestly a really hard position. So for us, one of the most important things when we started the company uh, was to be upfront with our investors of what we were about so we could be equally yoked. So for every round of funding, I said, I just need you guys to know that the mission of the company is why I exist. I did not leave my, I did not start this company to make money or to do whatever. Like, I hope I can take it public. I, we want to accomplish our mission at scale, but there are going to be many times when profit conflicts with our mission, and I need you to be okay that I'm gonna choose our mission if you're gonna put money in this company. Um, now I'm assuming that you, and, and if you don't, you're not necessarily in that position. Um, and uh, and I, I actually think in that case, like I don't know where you are within the company, but the CEO can get away with a lot, right? Um, you can, there's a lot of justifications you can make. For instance, it, you can easily justify that really living out your mission will give you a better long-term positioning in the market, and even though you're losing a buck, now you're gonna make way more later, et cetera. But I think actually under the air cover of mission, you can get away with most things um, today in the Valley. And uh, we can talk more if I didn't answer that as specifically as you would like. <clears throat> Thanks. Anyone else? We need the mics for recording. Um, so I have a question about how you survived at Goldman as a Christian, working 100 hour weeks. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I was uh, at, at, at Goldman, I was in the office basically 24 seven, except I put my foot down and said, hey, I need to leave for church. And so oh, I okay. leave for church halfway through Sunday. My, my, my other question oh, okay. is, how did you survive Goldman? <laughs> oh, okay, period. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I actually think the, the answer here is, um, is, is simple to say, which is 
I, the, I believe that for those of us in the workplace, our primary call is to be excellent at our job, provided that our job isn't something sketchy, right? But it's to be excellent at our job, because ultimately, if we're going to be, if we're going to be bright, you are most bright within a company when you are excellent, and. And honestly, when you are excellent, you're, you're getting reviewed well, you are committed, you're not like the millennial whining about a promotion and like threatening to leave and whatever, but you are for your manager, that right hand rock of this is a dedicated good person I can rely on and they do their job well, you can get away with anything, including being Christian, right? And, and, and in, fact, in fact, when you are publicly Christian and also known to be excellent, then that is one thing that will turn people onto Christ and that will, well, will draw people to talk to you. I'm just going to let that one settle for a second. That was really good. Cool. What else? So my question is, um, you talked about like hearing from God and um, having having Him help you with making decisions. And mm-hmm. I'm assuming on a week to week basis, um, you could you could have like God influence you on a like very tactical level where mm-hmm. He He could be saying like, oh, do this or do that, or there's mm-hmm. many different ideas that's popping in your head. Um, how do you balance that between like running back to your team and saying, "Oh, we're going to do this next," or or God's telling me to do this? Do you like finish off one thing that <laughs> God has been telling you to do, or is it, or is there a, a season where, um, like, there could be a week where you're 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 telling the team, "Hey, we're going to do this next," and then the next day you're going to you're going to say, "No, we're switching gears and doing this." Yeah. Um. So. I don't know how much of a cop-out this is, but in, in my personal experience, I guess first, first off is I don't, I don't believe that I've been jerked around a lot. You know, I, I, I don't have the experience of one week I feel like God is telling me to do one thing and the next week he's telling me to do something else and people think I'm like schizophrenic or I'm like, or, you know, and, and, and there are rare times I've been asked to do something that truly had so little logic to it that the only way I could defend it to people was like, hey guys, I know this makes zero sense, but God told me to do it, right? There, like, like his direction, all, there's almost always a variety of paths that have different logic to it where like, it can intrinsically stand on its own if you have conviction around it, right? Um, I, I guess the, the, the bigger thing I realized though, which is kind of really interesting actually, is that most of the time, there are many times in business where because of emotions or people being territorial or prideful or whatever, that you actually make many suboptimal decisions or you're driven by fear. And many of the times I've felt uh, a, a prompting um, are times when I've just been pushed to do the smart and gracious thing. You know, and, and a simple example might be, um, let me think. Uh, I'll, I'll use the, the, the pricing one as an example. Uh, a simple example might be um, our, our, you know, we felt that our price was too high and we needed to lower it. You can make a lot of arguments for both, but it actually was paralyzingly scary 
to, the, to lower our price because we had to make a bunch of assumptions for how sales velocity would increase and retention would increase. And if those things didn't happen and we just lowered our price, our model would explode and we'd just run out of money, right? Um, and, but, um, but we felt God, I felt God pushing us to do that. And so we ended up deciding to test a bunch of lower priced, uh, lower priced plans. And currently for all of them, uh, actually, sales velocity did go up and retention did increase, and we're coming out uh, net even. It's just turned out to be a pretty good business decision even, but that's also wholesome because now we have more merchants on board who are paying less. Um, so most of the times I've found it's actually been aligned, even though it might be scary at first. I, I can't really think of many where it's just been so inexplicable. Um, yeah, I mean, even if you think about the craziest situation, you know, even ones like billionaire Groupon told me that he crushed me and we decided not to sell, even that is pretty defensible, right, in, in today's environment. Um, and people understand it for many reasons. There are a couple of examples you gave of um, what I would call kind of a, a surrendered heart or a surrendered will where God told you to give away money and it was the last money you had, things like that. Um, how do you maintain that kind of softness towards God when you're spending hours at work, not necessarily hours in you know, prayer explicitly or worship explicitly? Like, how do you keep your heart soft when the reality is the majority of your time is spent in something that is, is work? Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. God keeps my heart soft because I— because I have to, to survive. Uh, I, I believe he, excuse me, chase, you know, is, is chasing us constantly. And I know for me, it's just um, being open to his chasing. But there's, I mean, so much of my day, so many times I just feel inadequate. I feel that I'm not capable, not competent enough. I feel overwhelmed, exhausted, whatever, right? And, and you're, and I, I am constantly being driven to my knees out of necessity towards God, you know, and those are, it, it is no credit of mine where I pursue him or I'm open to him, but rather, rather me trying to be in a disposition where I allow myself to be pursued. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I, even, even today, I think there's been a bunch of meetings where the meeting was really hard. In the very middle of the meeting, I just say a quick prayer and I think, all right, God, this is headed down a bad direction. Without your intervention right here, this meeting is not going to end productively, right? And um, please help, you know? Or, hey, God, uh, just had a really difficult conversation that went surprisingly well. That was awesome. Thanks so much, right? But um, I, I feel like through, I feel like especially in business, actually, we are blessed by so many opportunities where he, that he can leverage to pursue us because there's so many ups and downs and so many crazy things that happen, especially in a startup. And I've, I've found that many times in those moments, they're actually like te lessons through which he's teaching us or lessons through which he's reaching out to us or talking to us. And so, um, yeah, I, I guess uh, I, I, there's, it's nothing that I'm doing, but I'm, I'm, he forces me to. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Um, so you were saying a lot about decisions that you were making through your career and building your company, and um, it seems like you have really good discernment in that. 
And I know for me, uh, you said that God, it doesn't seem like he really jerks you around with like what he's telling you to do, but can you t walk us through what like a process of that might look like? Like you were making really tough decisions, really big decisions that your kind of life was riding on a bit. And I don't know, I feel like um, mm -hmm. it wasn't just like you were in a prayer and God was like, oh, put your money here. And you're like, all right, let's put our money here. Like, yeah. like were you talking with people? Did it take a long time? Um, did you even have to convince yourself that that was the right thing to do? Like, can you walk us through that? Yeah, that, that's a great question. Yeah, because it's, yeah, in, in, in a talk like this, it seems like it's just this magical thing that happens. It, it's definitely a gradual process. Um, so one, one simple one that comes to mind was, um, was around, was for a Series A. Uh, basically, it's a very similar story where we felt like, we felt like we didn't have the right investors on the table. We had no money left in the bank but we turned down our term sheets and then we funded the last payroll with our life savings and then like an amazing investor came through and God provided again. Um, so that, that situation was definitely not this like, you know, I'm, I'm evaluating our different, our different term sheets. I'm like, oh, like Sequoia, Mayfield, whatever. And then a light from the heavens shines down and says like, not that one. And I'm like, none of these, you know? And then I go forth in boldness and it happens. But rather... Rather, it was, um, I'm doing my quiet time. During my quiet time, over time, days, I'm reminded about why I started the company in the first place. I'm reminded that I started it because I felt I was called and for an explicit mission, and um, that I'm, and the Holy Spirit in my heart is uncovering how a lot of my heart is being darkened in the fundraising process by the TechCrunch desire to post a big headline with a flashy investor name. And that is being uncovered. And as God is graciously doing this work of uncovering the unrightness that is within me and sanctifying me, um, he puts choice people in front of me. You know, there's good practice just to seek counsel, for instance, from, from um, good, solid Christians. But, uh, you know, an on, a Christian entrepreneur falls on my lap. Never met him before. I go out to lunch with him. And in that lunch, he says hey, Victor, you've talked a big game about, like, your mission and whatever, but you're about to raise money from some unsavory folks. How could you possibly accomplish your mission if you're unequally yoked? And that stabs me in the heart because it's right in line with this path that God has been bringing me on. And then so, you know, and, and, um, and so I'm increasingly convicted that I should not take money from these people. And I go to a meeting and someone says something especially unsavory. And because I'm fine-tuned to that now, that thing seems extra unsavory and it's confirming. You know, and through this path, I'm like, okay, I can't do this. I'm being steered. And then I say, no. Still extremely scary. But then massive provision follows. You know, but yeah, I feel like everything, every example I give is this gradual path. Absolutely. I think one of the things that comes up probably most often um, when I'm talking career with, with this group has to do with discernment of call. And I'm sure you get that a lot, which is I've got these skills, I've got these passions, I've got the voice of the Lord, I've got counsel, I've got like, how do you give people counsel on how to discern, you know, you're fresh out of school, maybe you're three years out of school, you've done, you're doing some job, you're not sure if it's the right one, how do you discern which path to take? I yeah. think that's kind of like a thing these days, right? You're like, mm -hmm. so many options that you're almost paralyzed as to which one do I take. Yeah. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? 
Yeah, okay, so this is definitely something I've, I've wrestled with a lot myself. I don't know if it's going to make any sense to you guys, but I'm just going to tell you how it's worked in my brain over time, and hopefully it will. Um, so there's one obvious thing, which is I believe that God has gifted all of us uniquely and incredibly, and so wherever you land, it probably aligns with your gifts, right? Because where God's vision for you is, his provision is, and that provision included those talents and abilities. And, you know, and so this is like the typical story of, uh, you know, a, a kid has an amazing talent in art and maybe should be an artist, but their Asian parents like try to force them to be an engineer, you know, and then they're like super awkwardly failing through school and it just doesn't feel right, right? But when it's right, uh, one is I, I absolutely believe most of the time your, your talents and the provision provided you will, will line up with that thing. Um, but in terms of like how you actually discern, um, I don't know the answer to that, but there's a practice that... Uh, has really helped me, and that practice is sorting through all the emotions that are in my heart as I'm trying to navigate that thing and try to label each voice that I'm hearing. So, for instance, when I was trying to, when I felt myself really drawn to go into private equity, when I just sat myself down, closed my eyes, and thought through that emotion, then I think, okay, what am I feeling right now? I really want this job. Why do I really want this job? Well, it will make me look so good to my friends, and my parents will be so proud, um, and I would love to make a lot of money. And then I think, okay, well, where are these voices coming from? And I'm like, well, that one's from my parents. That one's from, you know, like, that one's from a peer circle, whatever. And like, which, which voice is from God? You know, and, and, and then you will have the voice from God where you're like, you know, where... And so if you can just... If you can just Go take the practice of just chilling out, thinking through every emotion, labeling the emotion and labeling where that voice comes from, then you can put them into buckets of, this is from God, this is not from God. And I found that generally if I can do that and I just look at the voices that I know I can label from God, it usually points in a pretty good direction. I can keep going if you guys have others. Yes. Um, so I have a question about how to apply this as a college student. Mm -hmm. um, so like, you know, I spent a lot of time in the library doing extracurriculars that I think I'm interested in, like passionate about, and then there are days where I'm like, oh, is this what God really wants me to do? Doesn't God want me to just like, you know, go out and like talk to people about God? Like, how do you, how do you balance that? Because it's like really confusing and, um, you know, like there is community around me um, to talk about it. Like, oh, like how did you guys navigate that? Or like praying before midterms, things like this. But, yeah. you know, I, I still don't really know and it's like really confusing. Um, and so I would appreciate any insight you have on that. Oh man. I don't know if I can answer that question. I'm trying to. Th I, I think I did a shitty job of it in school, honestly. So, I you know like I, I was completely driven by the wrong things. And when I look back, I, I definitely should not have picked the majors that I did and other things. I, fortunately, business was the right one, and that was like the one thing where I actually did feel God prompting me, and I I, I wasted my time on other stuff. Um, yeah, you know I I don't really know the answer to that. Like I, I guess I think about my sister. I have a little sister, and. Um, and in, in many households, you know, you, you 
like they want you to be a doctor, but she really felt like she had a joy around working with people and helping people, and she wanted to be, uh, and that led her, and that pointed her in, in that specific implementation towards physical therapy, where you are still technically a doctor, but it's way less prestigious and you make a fraction of the money, right? But she felt so much more alive when she was thinking about helping people in that way than when she was thinking about like doing surgery or something. So she ended up you know, changing everything and then going down the physical therapy path instead. And now she's like super happy and she really feels like she's in the center of God's will and all that stuff. But um, I, I, I don't have a good answer for you other than thinking about her case and just thinking about how, how one path was pointing her to something that felt, um, that, that felt the most aligned with the in her intrinsic personality and the the goodness you know that her heart desired to bear bring to bear on the world and to others and then once she picked that path though it was really hard there's a lot of moments where she was miserable and wanted to quit but then she could hold on to that and then you know because otherwise you have this roller coaster will jump off every time something is hard right but then that gave her the conviction to go through so i'm sure that wasn't helpful to you at all but that's the only thing i could think of <laughs> We're going to go back here, and then we'll go up here. Um, so it's not a poignant, it's not like a straight question, but um, like you've talked about like some of the things I've gleaned is like you've talked about um, integrity, you've talked about obedience, and kind of those things kind of lead to reliability. Mm -hmm. Um, and then you just recently talked about discernment. Mm -hmm. um, and then um, I know that, like, there are pieces of when you talked about, like, how you had thought about going into PE mm -hmm. and then so forth, and then now you're a CEO. Um, I think something I'm curious about is, like, the concept of dreaming. Mm -hmm. like, like, you had dreams to be in PE, and then, you know, things were mm -hmm. thwarted for the better. Um, but like, w just would love to hear your insight on dreaming in general, um, and then like w maybe what your dreams look like. Are you there? Do you realize? Have you realized it, or how have they changed over time? Just your thoughts there. Um, yeah, I mean, well, so I, I definitely think dreams are a good thing. You hold them lightly, right? Like a man plans his way, but the Lord determines his steps, right? Um, we, uh, I've, d I've definitely had different dreams that came from different places. The private equity, the private equity dream, did not come from a redemptive place. But I've had many dreams where I believe it came from a place that was uh, was aligned with God's will, you know. And in and in um, and in all those cases, in those cases, I think God definitely gives us dreams as a vision of what to pursue and then we pursue them with our utmost but holding our hands loosely and giving it to him. So for, for my dream, um, well, I guess, okay, so when I started the company, honestly, I didn't have one. And that was probably a bad thing, but I allowed myself to get so busy that I didn't really dream. And so I, I didn't think I'd even be here today. And even now, like 350 people and $100 million sounds like a lot. We're still a startup. We don't make any money. We could blow up. Like next year, I probably won't be invited to speak anymore because our company won't exist or something. <laughs> and they'll be like, oh, this guy's a failed startup. Maybe he can talk to some kids. I don't know. Um, but uh, 
yeah, so I didn't really have a dream. For, I, didn't, I, didn't, I really didn't know where we would be. I just thought I should work really, really hard, and, uh, and hopefully the company will, will grow and not die. Um, I think the dream that, that I picked up was the dream that became our mission statement. Like, I, I have a dream where, where, where commerce is reimagined, where 10 years from now, we walk down the street, and at every local business, they know your name. They know who you are, and based on their knowledge of who you are, they treat you in a personalized way, a special way. You know, and 10 years from now, when we will be identified everywhere we go, it is not like Minority Report, where they scan your eyeball and something like creepy and transactional happens, but it's like Cheers, where everybody, where it's warm and there's some personalization, right? There, there, there's a dream that I have that's related to the mission statement of our company, and that is what I absolutely pursue in my day-to-day, -day, and, that, and that is what I view as my mission field. I believe I am a missionary to create that vision, right? Um, but that said, every day at work, I, I still hold the dream loose. I, I guess every day at work, there's so many roadblocks in the way. Like, I feel like we're gonna run out of money. I feel like I don't have the right product managers or I have like a bad engineer or whatever, you know? And, um, and it, it gets lost. And so one thing I do is I try to hold on to it because I think it's good to hold on to. Um, but then the other is I try to hold it loosely because even if I believe God's promise is for us to achieve that dream, I've come to realize that the path is never the path I think it is, and it's not like this up into the right line to the dream, but rather it's like a bunch of crashes and pitfalls, and if I hold the dream too tightly, I'll get disillusioned before you can even bring it to bear. Hi. Um, first of all, thanks for sharing a lot of your stories. It's really cool. I use yeah. five stars. So awesome. It's like <laughs> pretty dang nice. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, I'm a college student right now, fourth year, about to graduate, um, and I'm thinking a lot about what life after college would be like. Um, there's a lot of transition that would happen, and um, my question is more of like a question about your advice on um, the transition out of college into the workplace and encountering people who are more different than you, as in, you know, what's the workplace culture like mm -hmm. for your company, I'd say, or what posture should I take as an incoming person going into the workplace? Um, how do I work with people who are different from me, like cross-culturally, um, who are like different genders, older or younger than me, um, that type of stuff. How do I approach that? I think a big barrier of mine is being reluctant to speak up to people who have more experience than me as if like, you know, I don't have, it's not my place to like speak up and stuff. So yeah. um, how do you cultivate that type of culture in the workplace? Um, especially um, yeah. Yeah, I can give you our, our simple angle. So one of our, uh, um, one of our company values is authentic relationships. Um, we have two values that probably pertain to this. One is shared humility is our first value. Authentic relationships is our second value. Um, one of the heuristics that I always use when navigating a really tricky, like let's say political situation work or something, is I use the heuristic of if I am called to be real with this person, authentic with this person, um, how would I treat them if this were my brother or this were my best friend? Right, like somebody at work does something that you perceive to be terrible, to be stupid, you think they're an idiot, um, or they're really mean to you. The common thing to do is you're like, well, screw this person, I'm just gonna ignore them. I'm not gonna talk to them, I might even badmouth them, I might gossip, I might do whatever. But you think, what does authenticity really look like? What would I do if that person were my best friend? I would pull them aside and I would say, hey, I don't know if you knew this, but it really actually hurt my feelings when this happened, and I don't know if you meant it that way. You know, or, 
Or you might say, hey, I, you know, I'm the new person. You know, I'm probably stupid, I'm probably wrong, but I actually think this is a bad idea, <laughs> you know, and here's why, right? You would be, you would, authentic relationships means that you have the commitment to the relationship first before like job performance, other things. The relationship is more important, you know? And so my, uh, probably the, the, the simplest piece of blanket advice I can give you is to put the relationships as paramount and in any of those situations think through how would I react here if this were a good friend of mine or a brother of mine? Do you have any counsel for where a kingdom value would conflict with a company value? And to one extent, you're hired to be within that company and operate in a way that probably is in line with what that company would want for you or what your boss would want for you. Um, and I don't mean like straight up, you know, mm -hmm. your boss tells you to lie right. and you're just unwilling to do it. I mean, more like if you had done what you just said at Goldman, mm -hmm. it probably would have been landed, I, I don't know, maybe, but it would have been so counter to the culture around you that it could have not mixed well. Or um, do you know where I'm going yeah, with this? Yeah, I, I do. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm silent because I can't think of an answer to it. You know what? Yeah, what, so what, what comes to mind in that situation? Because I think everyone is different, right? What comes to mind is actually I hear Tim Keller's voice. He was my pastor when I was in New York. And one thing Tim Keller always said in his sermons about wisdom is he was like, you know, wisdom is for the 99% of things the Bible doesn't prescribe, right? There's like 1% of things which is like, don't steal. And your boss is like, steal. And you're like, no, right? And that's super <laughs> obvious, right? But there's... But there's 99% of things that are not covered that discreetly. And, 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 and so I guess my answer to that would be go listen to Tim Keller's sermons about wisdom. I don't know, right? But, but, there, but, but I, I, I'm being a little cavalier with it, but, but really, because I, I think that it, all it can come down to is the nuance of the situation. There were many situations, for instance, when I was at Goldman, where I could do, like, I can do more for the kingdom by really trying to be excellent than by like nitpicking a fight yeah. over I don't know me being asked to like speed in the middle of the night to deliver a pitch book to my MD when they're at the airport because they're running late and to be like the Bible tells me not to break any laws I should not speed no I'm gonna drive 60 and if I make them before their flight then I will right <laughs> but, like does that really get the kingdom anywhere I don't know that it does right No, I drove my I try to get the thing to my MD right <laughs> so I, I think there's like wisdom in all of these situations I mean I think it's a great <laughs> There's so many places in the Bible that tell us to seek wisdom, mm -hmm. but I actually find oftentimes it's not something that is a common part of our prayer vocabulary, mm -hmm. which is like, oh God, I need your wisdom, you know, and, and mm -hmm. just seeking that. And all of, Pro oh, half of Proverbs is like, my son, seek wisdom more than gold or silver, mm -hmm. right? But it's, do we have that in yeah. us? And I think that's a great, Delaney. <clears throat> Hello. Um, I'm in, I was, I really like what you said about taking risk mm. and about um, starting something new. I'm most interested in like the beginnings of things. So I'm interested in taking a risk in terms mm -hmm. of my career, like starting something I've never, mm -hmm. I've tried to do before. Um, but
but I'm wondering if you had like a list, a bucket list of things that you like are must-haves. Like I must meet some VCs because I'm starting from scratch. <laughs> like I guess on my list is I should meet some VCs. Or you know, I'm just wondering if you have like a list of like must-haves. Um, like or, when starting a new startup specifically, like um, a, a specifically, business. Specifically, um, the industry that I would be interested in is creating a new TV show. Okay. And um, it would be great to have investors for that. But I don't, I don't know how this world works. Yeah. Um. So whether it's a TV show or if it's just a new company, like a, yeah, just a a company. But yeah, not a, not a tech industry. Um, it can be technical. Right. But yeah. Okay. Um, I don't have a list. Uh, this is not necessarily Christian advice. This is pragmatic advice. Uh, I, I I I personally believe the first thing you should do is you should uh, you should get in touch with and befriend or be mentored by someone who's deeply aware of the inner workings of that industry. Right, someone who has a list. If you were if you were telling me you were trying to start a new tech startup, I might be that person. I could definitely give you a list of what you should do to start a new tech startup. Um, but yeah, I, I I believe in the wisdom of counsel. You know, the uh, a, a plan with many or whatever is I don't I don't know the proverb. But fails less. I don't know how it is. <laughs> Basically, seek wise counsel. Right. Amen. But, amen. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> right. But that that's like in, that's 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 a. a that's a proverb even that's echoed throughout the Bible, right? You just seek wisdom and, or seek and seek the counsel of those who, are, who are know about it. So yeah, the first thing I do is I find somebody like desperately through LinkedIn, cold email, be aggressive, be creepy, right? Stalk people, you know, go on Facebook and find that someone likes cats and send, send them like a cat toy as a gift and say, I would love to be mentored by you around TV shows, right? But find that person and then take their advice and get more connections. Yes. There was one that was a hand up, I thought. Hi. Um, still not a fully developed question yet, but you're talking a lot about um, dream, visions, finding your passions, and also sorting through the emotions in your head, like your parents' voices and all these mm -hmm. other people's voices and God's voices. You didn't mention your voice. Mm. I'm just wondering... I guess two aspects. First of all, that's deep. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just still trying to figure it out. So, I don't know if at any points why you felt maybe your voice aligned with God's voice or where it didn't. If there's anything specific you talk about, and also like just the process with finding what your voice really is when it's already influenced by so much. Yeah. Yeah, okay, so I'm, I'm, I'm not qualified to answer that question. I will tell you why I'm not qualified to answer that question. I'm, I'm not qualified to answer that question because I think that is a part of my walk I'm going through right now and still, which is that my personality is, I, I'm, like, I'm a people pleaser, right? I might be pretty aggressive, but actually I grew up really worried about what other people thought about me. And I really wanted other people to like me, and I really wanted other people to think I was smart. And most of my life has been guided by that desire to people please. And so it's not until even recently that I've begun to really, really try and discover more what my voice sounds like when it's not filtered through the lens of, of so many of those conflicting desires. Um, and even now, for instance, at when I get up into the company for a town hall, it's really hard still for me to determine, just to, to separate 
okay, if I say these things, like I'm very well attuned to how people will react, right? So at a town hall, I know if I say these things, people will like me, be motivated, whatever. And it's so easy for me to say all the things that I know people want to hear than to think, wait, what do I actually want to say here? You know, what do I, I just believe about the situation, even if everyone will hate me for that belief? I'm, I'm not good at that, but it's been increasingly revealed to me just how bad I am about that. So I don't feel qualified to answer the question, simply to acknowledge that actually, yeah, I think it's very astute for you to pick up that my voice was not something I said because I actually think it's missing or unidentified well in the equation. Right. We're going to go back here and then we'll come up here. She had her hand up first. Come on up. Oh, I want to like thank you for sharing your like yeah. story. I really, really liked it. Um, so my question is like, I'm like a freshman right mm -hmm. now. So like, I like my question would be like, how did what was like the process like the detailed process of how you knew like God kind of wanted to major in business mm -hmm. and then how God how you knew that you like didn't want to like he didn't want you to go into an equity firm and like he wanted you to start your like business and like how did you know that like that dream that you had was like mm -hmm. should be the mission statement of your company? Yeah. Oh man. Um, I'll just pick one of those. I'll, I'll pick the major one. Um, so I, I hesitate to answer because I don't think my experiences here are representative of the general population because I think God speaks to everyone in their own way. And I think I have a fairly stubborn and unique personality where God often needs to like, hit me over the head with something before I see it. So uh, when, it, when, it, when I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do for my career, there were a number of turning points that uh, determined it. So when I was at Berkeley, uh, I was in a business fraternity called Delta Sigma Pi. Delta Sig essentially was what ended it pointing me in the direction of banking and a bunch of their stuff. But uh, I had I went to KCPC, which is a, I don't know if that church is still around here. Um, but uh, I had a friend who really wanted to rush these business fraternities. So I told her I'd go with her, honestly, because I thought she was cute and I liked her. I didn't have a better reason than that. Uh, I went to rush these fraternities with her. Um, Delta Sig was one, AK Psy was another. And then I, uh, I strangely ended up in this position where these fraternities wanted me to join and were all were giving me offers. And then I thought, okay, I don't know how to answer this. What do I do? I felt really bewildered. And then something in my brain triggered, oh, you should pray about it, okay? So then I thought, okay, which direction will bring me closer to God? And that is actually one question I've learned to ask over uh, now over time whenever I have like a fork in the road. I, I ask, which fork will bring me closer to God? And so I asked that question and then the craziest thing happened. I realized that this guy at my church was part of Delta Sig, so I should call him. And then I was at my friend's place, and someone, there's like, I didn't have my phone, and I picked up a random phone on, off, the, off the table, and the last number dialed was the number of Youngie, the guy who goes into my church. I was that visitor attorney. I was like, what the hell? So then I pressed call, and I talked to him, and he was like, you'll be stupid not to join Delta Sig. It's way better. And I was like, okay, I'd be stupid not to join Delta Sig. It's way better. So then I joined... <laughs> 
so then I joined Delta Sig, and then I got pushed down towards banking and a bunch of other things. But like that, that type of thing has happened to me a lot because, and I, that, this is why I hesitate to say it because it's so blatant, but you don't know how stubborn and obtuse I am. Like I need to be smacked over the head over and over before I listen. And so God has learned to do that for me. Um, or not learn to do that for me, does that for me <laughs> compassionately, um, and I have learned to recognize it when it happens, uh, but um, there is his own flavor for you, right? And so maybe that's the thing I'm trying to say, but I don't know it'll look like that, because that's a really unique situation. Yeah. Good, huh? I think what comes through in a lot of your counsel, which I really appreciate, is your confidence in God's ability to lead you uh, whether you get it just right or not. And I think almost everything you, ta you have anchored around in terms of calling or discerning his will has so much confidence in God's side of the equation and not yours, hmm. you know? And I think that's really cool. Hmm. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Hi, Victor. Thank hey. you so much for all that you shared. Um, two questions. Uh, one, who do you identify with in the Old Testament, and why? Oh, man. The Old Testament? <laughs> That's so much harder. Probably Samson, right? <laughs> I hope not. Get my eyes gouged out and like die in a ball of glory. Actually, that part fits a startup, right? Just... <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, that's what we used to say. I used to say, if God really called me to this company, uh, my goal is just for it to be bright, and bright could be a big success or it could be a big fire explosion, so that would fit Samson. Uh, if it were a New Testament, I would, I would have said Paul, as at least that, not who I identify with, who I wish I could be like, because he's very provocative and he's very bold for the gospel. In the Old Testament, I don't, I, there's not one person, but there's many characters that we've prayed over as a company or a leadership team when we've had struggles. So one of the ones that we've, that has been recurring has been Gideon, you know, but the idea of in the startup, you feel so overwhelmed and God took this one person and said, okay, you're going to fight this impossible army, but you're not going to bring everyone with you. Just like take them to the, take all your soldiers to the river and do this really weird thing. And you see who drinks with their hands and who drinks with their lips, right? And then he's like, okay, now throw more of them away. Just take 300 of them. Right, then he takes 300 of them. And Gideon also is like pretty unbelieving. He's like, God, I need a sign. I need another sign. Make it wet. Okay, make it not wet. Now make everything wet. Yeah, yeah right? And then, um, and then, right? And then, and then God obviously comes through. And Gideon is the weakest, right? He is the weakest member of the weakest tribe, right? And God comes through and he like demolishes the enemy. So Gideon is one that, that has come up a lot in our prayers as, as we've aspired to uh, to perceive God's promise in moments of darkness and worry um, that comes to mind right now. Maybe one or two more? Come on up. Hey, Vic. Thanks for being hey. here. Um, my name is Stephanie. <clears throat> I'm a member of this church and also a UC Berkeley grad. Go Bears. Um, I am, would love to hear you speak a little bit more about your leadership team and your co-founder. Um, it sounds like, from what you've said, that um, y'all have prayed together and mm -hmm. had a really clear vision together about um, what this company would be and mm -hmm. that it seems to be very biblically, spiritually, and God-rooted. Um, 
Could you talk through that a little bit more, yeah. as well as some, from your own experience, some elements and counsel of um, finding running partners in mm -hmm. in business and in life? Yeah. Here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so bottom line there is I believe in the importance of being equally yoked, right? Like you, you are called to marry a spouse you are equally yoked with, and a, a startup is not marriage, but it gets pretty close, right? And, um, and, uh, and so, yeah, I, I, I believe it is of paramount importance in your partners and in your leadership team to find those of similar character well before you find those of competence. I, you, you definitely need both, but 10 times out of 10, I've learned that when you hire or partner with a person who is a, a rock star, but, um, but divergent on a character level, you will always come to regret it, you will always pay for it, relative to finding someone who has a character alignment and um, first, and, and hopefully is also really good. I mean, you need, you need excellence too, but not at the cost of character. Um, yeah, so my co-founder, uh, also Christian, uh, came from a hedge fund. We met at McKinsey, and we got to know each other because we were trying to start a prayer group at McKinsey. And starting a prayer group at McKinsey in New York was like this impossible thing where, like, our managers, I had a manager who was Christian, and she was afraid to join. She's like, I'm going to get fired if they know I go to a prayer group. I'm like, are you really going to get fired? And she was like, well, maybe people won't like me. I'm like, okay. And then so she ended up coming, right? But we got to know each other really well because not many people came, so we spent a lot of mornings just, like, staring at each other, <laughs> hoping people will come to our prayer group. Um, so that's my co-founder, Matt. Uh, went to Redeemer together. Um, and then, uh, yeah, for my leadership team, on, honestly, it's, it's like, an, <laughs> I, had, like, I have these notes of stories that I could tell of God's providence, but I would bore you guys to, like, with too many things, so I didn't even share that one. But yeah, that's exactly one of them. Amazing VP comes through the door, but kind of like, kind of an asshole, or, you know, you just can tell that they're not the right fit, like blatantly, but subtly, right? Um, one of them uh, was this woman who was so incredible, was running books on the topic that we really need someone for, but I could tell that she was driven by the love of money, and I could not have an executive who was driven by money before a mission. And, um, and, uh, and so, I, and so and, but it's so hard to find talent, right? And in, in prayer, just incredible things have happened. So there, I have many of the VPs on my team are believers, Many of them were hired before I even knew they were believers. So a good example is our VP of marketing. His name's Chris Lowe. He was the global head of SMB marketing at Facebook, ran all of acquisition marketing for Google Asia Pacific before that. Heavy, heavy hitter. Uh, goes through the interview process. In my final rounds with him, um, final rounds with him were, after final rounds, I'm, I'm taking him out to dinner. And at dinner, I find out that he's a small group leader at my church, which is a big <laughs> church. Um, um, yeah, uh, so we have, we have, I have many, many stories like, there are many people on my leadership team that have a similar story, but what I've learned is do not compromise on character, and even though your search goes on for a long time and you feel hopeless and like you're never going to get the right person and the fire is burning, God will provide the right person. All right, I think I'm going to give us Quick last question, and then right. I'm gonna let you go. Thank you for spending your time with us. Yeah. Um, what does, how is success defined for you? I think you answered it somewhat earlier in the talk, which was you're standing before Christ one day, and he goes, wow, you did an amazing job with what you were given. More practically, like if you take your job right now, 
and said, what does it look like for you to be incredibly successful in the thing that you're doing now? Or as a, you know, in your professional life, longer term, either one, what is success? How do you, how do you, how do you define success? Yeah. Um, I, I, so good and faithful servant is definitely the umbrella. I, I, uh, yeah, those are words I would love to hear. Um, the, I guess the way I think about it is when I look at my report, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm giving a review to one of my VPs. What, what, what would I look for in the dream, uh, the dream, you know, employee? And it would be somebody who is obedient, who takes initiative, and who's very competent at what they do, you know, and they, um, and they do it in the right way with the right, you know, the right character and whatnot. And, um, and so uh, I think about what that means, and I hope I can be like that for God. You know, if, if he is my boss, um, and I'm working for him on a daily basis, and, you know, when he gives me my review at the end of the month, at the end of the quarter, at the end of the year, at the end of my life, I, I hope, like, success, like, me getting successful marks on that review, I hope uh, will be, you know, will, will result, it will be an output of whether I have been obedient, whether I've taken initiative, whether I've, I've done the utmost at stewarding the resources he's blessed me with, and, um, yeah, and so that, that's, that's what it means to me. And, uh, and I know you were, and, and I know the question was even for something very practical, like, like, hey, my goal is X right now. But actually one of the biggest lessons um, that has, I guess that's been for me was, is that, is that so many things change from day to day and goals change so often from day to day that the most important marker of success uh, is not an outcome, but a behavior. You know, it's not a destination, but it's a journey. And that behavior for, for me is a regular quiet time. And if I have a regular quiet time where I'm giving up ownership of my day to God, asking for his will to be imposed upon it, then success will come, um, guaranteed. So good. All right. As you're speaking that, that last thing, um, yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, actually, my, uh, my, my Suki, my wife, <laughs> my, my, my wife had a great idea. Um, can we pray for you and your business? Before? I would love that. Yeah. Thank you. So why don't you come on up, and then why don't we all stand and just uh, symbolically we'll just extend an, an arm towards Victor, and uh, we'll pray. Do you want to start, and I'll close? Father God, I thank you for this man. I thank you for the anointing, the gift that you've put in him, and I thank you for the fact that he fears you more than all the things that are around him, Father God. And in this valley and in this industry, Father God, a man who fears you is worth so much. And so even right now, Lord, we stand with him as his community, as his brothers and sisters, and we ask you that you would give him success. We ask you, Father God, that it wouldn't be success the way the world sees it, but it would be success in your eyes. I pray, Father God, that your favor with you and in favor with man would be strong with him, Father God. And we just speak your, your grace, your love, Father God, your power. I pray, Lord God, even as he was saying um, that he is even right now trying to understand his own voice. 
I pray, Father God, that that would come through. I just really believe that God is establishing your identity in even greater measure. And the way that you're going to be a voice and a prophetic voice, it's not something that you maybe necessarily even knew was the call that you had on your life. But I really believe that God is really making you a forerunner for so many things. And so, Lord Jesus, we just want to stand with him in support and in agreement. We ask you that you would continue to keep him humble, keep him close, keep him near you, Lord God, and that he would know the tenderness of your voice more than anything else and that there would never be um, another voice that would be um, more powerful than yours and more intimate than yours father god we just we just love you we love the work that you're doing and we ask you to uh, to speak blessing upon his company and as he covers over his company i pray that you would protect all of his workers and his employees and i pray that you would keep um yeah the funds coming and the provision coming in jesus name amen amen Thank you guys so much. Oh, yeah. Let me let me okay. pray. <laughs> Jeez. Stay serious. We're praying, church. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Lord, um, I just thank you for uh, for Victor, Lord, and I thank you for uh, just your hand and your faithfulness over his life and the testimony that that is to us. God, I pray that, uh, like in John 17, God, you talk about uh, becoming one with you, where it's you and us and us and you, and becoming one with the Father and you becoming one with us, and there's this, like, picture of oneness, and I just pray that. I can't think of anything that I'd rather have prayed over me, and so I just pray that we come to agreement, pray that over Victor, God, that he would literally just become one with you in mind, heart, in spirit, and God, that uh, he would get the privilege of walking by the power of the Holy Spirit and by the leading of his king. And so we ask your blessing of wisdom. We ask your blessing of great understanding. God, we ask your blessing of love and peace and patience. And God, that you'd continue to give him an anointing for leadership, God, where people that don't even know you would know what it feels like to be led by Jesus in multiple ways because he truly reflects who you are in your glory. And so we thank you for him. We thank you for his business. And we ask for you to prosper both him and his family and his business. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, thank you guys for investing your... All right, let's give it up for him. <laughs> thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, awesome. yeah. All right, y'all. That's all we got tonight. God bless. <laughs>